Hello everyone and welcome to episode 116 of the History Hotline. My name is Diana Lincook and as always I'll be your host today. Today we are joined by a very special guest on the History Hotline podcast um, and I'm really excited actually to, to do this episode. It's going to be I think a little bit different from episodes you're used to that um, where we focus maybe loads on the element of, of the Caribbean that is the history or, or Black British history and, and we're going to think a little bit more about storytelling today, which I am very excited. From the Parabiti podcast, we have Rafiki. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. I think this is this is my second UK collab, so I'm, nice. I'm really excited about that. Welcome. And if you can't hear, he's from America. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, thank you once again, guys. Thank you for having me on this podcast. A little about me. I'm I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. My family is from the West Indies with that being Guyana and Grenada, respectfully. And if you know Grenada really well, then really my family's from Karaku. Um, most Caribbean people do not know Karaku. Karaku is very, very small. Um, but I would say it's very important to the general Caribbean story, especially when we talk about culture. Um, I'm a writer. I've been, I graduated from Georgia State University with an English degree. Um, and I have used that to inform a lot of my creative writing, which is focused on Caribbean um, culture and even broader African diaspora culture. In 2021, I published my novel, Radiance Lost, and that was something I had written in high school. Um, and now, being so much older, I am working on other stories um, inspired by Caribbean culture and Caribbean history. And my podcast, Power BT, is a Caribbean historical podcast, but it's also a storytelling podcast for those who like reading and writing. Um, and it's focused on a tradition I hold very closely to my heart, um, and that is Karaku's Big Drum Dance. So that's something I'll kind of be talking about a little bit today as we discuss broader Caribbean um, storytelling and, and the how culture is influenced by music, language, and religion as well, because those are things that I tend to focus on um, creatively. Brilliant. Thank you so much for being here. I wondered, just because I like to break things down for my listeners, um, especially those that do not have roots in the Caribbean, do you want to talk about Karaku Grenada as quickly as you can? And as, I, I don't know if you can simplify it, uh, but just for anyone that doesn't doesn't know the link. I, I definitely will. I think that most people, when they think of the Caribbean, they think of just giant islands or one island. And you have a few. I mean, you have the Bahamas, which is a load of different islands. And you have Trinidad and Tobago. You know, you have St. Kitts and Nevis, so on and so forth. But Grenada is three islands. So you have Grenada, you have Karakou, and you have Petite Martinique. Most often, Karakou and Petite Martinique are labeled as a more of a community as opposed to Grenada. Grenada is the largest island of the tri-island state, and that is why the country has been named after this larger island. And when we talk about Karakou, Karakou as opposed to Grenada, they have a distinct cultural history. But Grenada was colonized by the British. It was colonized by actually all of the, it was colonized by the Spanish first, so yeah. hence the name Grenada, you know, Colombia used to be called Granada. So right. people will hear Grenada and think I'm saying it wrong. Right, and then yes. tell me it's Granada and I'm like, no, it's Grenada. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but then the longest colonial rule was by the French. And yeah. this is actually where a lot of my research is focused on because Grenada, like Dominica, has two languages or two creoles. You have 
the Grenadian French Creole, and you have the Grenadian English Creole, with the latter being spoken today. Um, and so for the, I think it was about 100 years that the French ruled Grenada, there became an established French Creole, which with a lot of similarities to St. Lucian Creole, Haitian Creole, so on and so forth. But the unique thing about this Creole is because Grenada is so far from the other Francophone islands, the dialect is distinct. Um, so even the word Creole in Grenadian, in the Grenadian dialect would just be Kale, the R would be dropped. And that is an example of how the language has been not, well, I say evolved, um, because Trinidad also spoke a French Creole, but that died out very quickly. Mm. Um, and so once it was not spoken anymore, Grenada had no necessarily means to continue speaking this language, specifically in the early 1900s with um, the switch of colonial rule and the unfortunate pressure from Grenadians themselves to give up the French Creole language. And now it's spoken by less than 1% of the population. It will unfortunately likely be extinct in the coming decades as older people pass away. Mm. Um, but yeah, we have been, we've exchanged hands between the European powers over the course wow. of the centuries. Yeah, definitely. And it's always interesting how they leave that lasting mark on, on, on language. Um, I also wondered and just this is just revelationary to me because this is why you need to talk to people that are not just Jamaica and Diana because you learn about other islands and other islands are important even though they are not in this country in as big as numbers um but I think as is tradition on this podcast when I have a guest I do have some quick questions that I want to ask you maybe this will allow us to delve a little bit more into um some Caribbean history maybe it won't and that's okay but um I wondered if you would play along with the quick fire question game um so the first question I have for you is um and they're all historical they're not it's not a quiz don't worry it's all your opinions um if you had to pick uh, a favorite historical time period um to study or, or you know just to look at what would that be what's your favorite time and that can be in any country you can specify. in any country yeah um honestly I would want to study maybe the the process of the slave trade in Brazil Okay, and nice. I only say that because Brazil has the largest amount of enslaved Africans taken to that country. Brazil is very black, yeah. um, with a lot of them coming from you know Nigeria and things. But I would definitely study Brazil um, and its colonial history, especially yes. because my husband is very focused on that kind of um, study. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, is there a historical figure, an individual, whether they wherever they come from? Um, that you'd say is your favorite or definitely definitely and I honestly I wouldn't have I mean I feel like at first my answer would have been Malcolm X I mean Mm -hmm. but not only because of his presence in America but his mother is from Grenada so I like to say me he is cousin yeah But, um, (laughs) but my favorite historical figure as of this point is actually Winston Fleury okay he passed away in 2019 and he's credited with bringing Karaku's big drum tradition and and cultural history to the broader world um and he performed it for the queen of england i think in the 1900s and he helped alan lomax a famous american ethnomusicologist record these songs and without these recordings i would not know nearly as much as, about Karaku's big drum dance as you know i would like to and, and there's so much that i still will not know because everything has not been recorded even though this 
religious and cultural tradition has been preserved orally for hundreds of years. Um, that language change from the English, from the French Creole to English Creole simply has destroyed so much. Um, mm. And so I, I attribute a lot of my work to Winston Fleury. And he's definitely someone I wish I could have spoken to. I actually think I crossed paths with him because he is at every big drum ceremony in Karaku. Yeah. And when I went in 2019, he was likely there, but mm. I did not know who to look for, know who he yeah. was. Um, but to think that I could have had a conversation with him before he passed away just breaks my yeah. heart sometimes. Oh, no, I can imagine. Um, definitely. It's a, kind of a bittersweet moment, I guess. But the fact that, you know, you, you shared a space and a presence with him as well is, is something to take. And I'm going to ask you more about um, Kakri's Big Drum Dance shortly. We've got to finish these questions first. Um, my third question, it might also speak to your second question, um, just because I'm sure that um, not many people will know Winston Fleury, but is there someone that you wish your whether that be your favorite or someone that you really admire historically that you wish more people knew about and you've got this time to tell them <laughs> um i feel like my pick i feel like most people know about her already i mean tony morrison I think nice. she's, she's everywhere but even actually a, a better figure would be ama Ata, Ata ido she was um, okay. a million writer and and thinker and teacher and so on. and she actually recently recently passed, passed away, away yeah yeah in june and when I had seen her, I saw her a video of her like maybe years ago when I was in high school and she was talking yeah. about just the effects of colonialism and the unequal trade that Africa has suffered from mm -hmm. European, um, you know, commerce and, and things like that. And I don't know that much about her, but just hearing her speak and listening to her voice yeah. um, and hearing her, her thoughts and ideas, that's someone I am working on learning more about and I would yeah. like others to learn more about as well. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and then what are you reading currently? So great question. I'm currently reading <laughs> Vagabonds by Elagosa Osunde. Nice. Um, she is a Nigerian writer. She's also, I think, staffed by the Paris Review right now. Um, and I stumbled upon her last year um, in my, what was it, one of my English classes in my final year of school yeah. um, called Good Boy. And it was part of a larger collection of like critically acclaimed writers. And that book was about being gay in Nigeria and how a little boy was kicked out and he grew up, grew up to be a business mogul. Mm. Um, and in line with that first book I read, which as a queer person myself, like really just touched my heart. Yeah. Um, I'm reading Vagabonds and Vagabonds is a, it's a, it's a magical realistic book. Um, and it is a theme with not just being gay in Nigeria, but being queer in general in the larger African context. And I just think it was something I wanted to read for Pride Month, um, especially given the recent sanctions in Ghana and especially Uganda um, yeah. for queer individuals. So that's currently what I'm I'm digesting right now. Nice. Um, and a final question. Um, and based on past episodes, I think that I know what you're going to say, but you might not. Um, if there was a book that you think everybody should read or you'd recommend that you think everybody should have in their library at least, um, what would that be? Well, it's going to be my book. I mean, if it's not my nice. book, yeah. it's not Radiance Lost. Here we go. Find on Amazon. Um, Say that again. Give us the title again. Love Radiance it. Lost. There we go. Um, so if it's not that book, I definitely would would nominate. I mean, oh my God, it would be several. I mean, American Street by Ibi Zaboy, Haitian author. Yeah. You Have Good Boy by Elagosa Sunday, Nigerian author. Even Vagabonds. I just started that book today on my train <laughs> ride today, and I'm already recommending it. Yeah, um, nice. So 
plenty. I have given you four. There we go. Uh, yeah, more than I could have asked for. Absolutely. And I will link the put the link to your book in the show notes as well. So if you are interested um, in, in reading that, then you can do that. Uh, just check the show notes and check social media as well uh, when this episode is out. Uh, so back to um, the big drum dance. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that and how your work intercepts with all of that? You know, I definitely will. I, I love talking about this. I think that I want to start by saying that for me, like to study this part of history, I had to open my mind up to, I guess, ideas about like faith and like religion and things like that. And I think that here in the States, there's a lot of movement towards abandoning the church. And, and I wasn't raised religiously at all. Um, but I've seen one of the first podcasts I listened to was talking about Black Southern culture and specifically Black Southern religion and how it has informed, you know, broader Black identities within the church, outside of the church, um, and, you know, historical and cultural stories. And that is kind of what inspired me to learn more about Caribbean, like, in religion in the Anglophone islands. Um, and so when I went to Karaku, I was taken, I think, you know, it was a like graduation trip for me and my family. I'm a triplet, so I have two other brothers, and I also have a younger sister. Oh, cool. So it was our first time in Karaku. <clears throat> my mom hadn't been in 20 years. Um, and I preface this by saying my mom was not born there. She was born in Brooklyn like me. Um, but her parents were very big on keeping that cultural connection alive. I mean, she wasn't even allowed to play with people who were not West Indian. It was that serious. Um, right. And I have, I, have some, I have many problems with that, but yeah. it, did, it did allow for me to be more in touch um, with this side of my family. And so when we went to Karaku, my mom had told me about Big Drum and, and the Tombstone Feast. And essentially, the Big Drum Dance is a, how do I, I didn't even know how to describe it. It is a Afro-Caribbean religion in Karaku. So even though Karakou is a part of Grenada and so is Petite Martinique, <clears throat> it's only really done in Karakou with maybe Petite Martinique as well. And essentially it is, people will look at it as a cultural practice, but it is religious. And at one point had a lot of religious meaning. People would do it to call rain. Um, mm -hmm. It's done for when people pass away for their spirits to move on and yeah. not directly after they die, but maybe a year or two or three years later. It is also done when people build a house to bless the land. Um, and it is done when the ancestors or the old parents, as we say, come to you in a dream and essentially say that you must, they must be fed, they must be taken care of. And it's as there's a woman who was interviewed in these recordings done by Alan Lomax in the 1950s, and her name is Mary Fortune. And she goes into detail about the big drum dance and about what accompanies it, which is called the Tombstone Feast. Um, so there's like a bunch of different foods that are cooked, cuckoo, um, rice, okra, um, vegetables, which would be kalaloo and provisions, which are potatoes. Um, you have pork, chicken, mutton, and these things are prepared in a certain way and put on a table. And it's called the old parents plate. And essentially in the context of someone dying, the host family, so the family who has lost a, a member, they would host this at their house and the food would be prepared. People will be in the, the room and they will leave the room and not look back. And it is said that the old parents come and accept the food. Um, so I like to talk about the, the practice in the context of death, not because I like to talk about people dying, but I think that when people associate religions, they, they mark them as being formal depending on what they are done and what they're used for. 
Um, and so Carol Cruz Big Drum Dance is very small because the island itself is very small, but it's unique because it has enabled us outside of a religious context to trace ourselves to many different African groups. We know our genetic history based on this oral tradition. So we have what are called nations and you will find in other religions, especially like I like to use Haitian Vodun as an example, that there are nations and these nations inform people's understanding of themselves and of the spirits that they may or may not worship. So because Karaku is such a small place and, and colonial rules on religion, a lot has been lost in comparison to Haitian Vodun, but we do have these nations and these nations um, consist of the Cromanti, which are Akan and Ashanti groups from West Africa. Many people know the Cromanti, especially being Jamaican. You definitely know the Cromanti with Queen Nani and, you know, all these different people. Kujo, that's a famous Akan name. Um, we also have the Igbo. So Igbo people from Nigeria, we have them as well. We have the Moko, the Manding, um, which might also be called Mandinka. Um, we have the Chamba, the Banda, the Congo, the Congo with a K. Um, and then we also have the Temne. The Temne is very unique because they're a very, very small ethnic group only found within Sierra Leone. And we are the only place in the whole of the Americas, including the Caribbean, to have a strong connection to Temne people, um, where Temne culture has not only been found, but been preserved to this day and age. And we actually have connections, um, like events will be had between Karakou and Sierra Leone, where they, Temne people will come from Sierra Leone and visit Karakou and see how people have lived and held on to different cultures. Actually, another name for the whole tradition is Saraka, or some might say that Saraka is only reserved to the actual feast, similar to like the tombstone feast. And um, that word is said to be attributed to Sierra Leonean languages. Um, so while the, while the exact origins of where we get certain things are hard to pinpoint because African cultures share so many similarities with one another, um, those are some of the nations that we have. We also have the Arata, and I forgot to mention them. The Arata, that is actually the, one of the old names for the, king, for the capital of what is now Benin. But the Arata people are really Fon and Ewe groups from West Africa. And so these nations inform the broader context of Karakus Big Drum Dance and cultural and ancestral history. And when people do the Big Drum Dance, they're doing it to celebrate their ancestors who have survived the horrors of transatlantic slavery and settled um, by force or by choice in Karakou. Nice, brilliant. That is so fascinating um, and something that I didn't know much about. I do wonder, and um, yeah, how then, I'm thinking about colonization. How, how did a tradition like this that's so rooted in, in different um, African belief systems that, you know, Christianity came in through colonization into the Caribbean to try and, you know, civilize these savage people. And you can't see me, but I'm, I'm doing air quotes, of course. Um, yeah, how does, how does a tradition like this survive attempts to, to colonize it? And, and are there, I don't know, direct attacks on it and, and, yeah, how does it still kind of prevail to, to the point where you're speaking about it to me today? So I think that it's a, a complicated question because no one, people have ideas, but no one might really know. Okay. But I think the biggest part is the fact that when you see religions like Haitian Vodun, you have an obvious element, which is possession. So mm -hmm. people are being 
mounted by Lawaz, and those are the spirits in the Haitian language. Right. But Karaku does not have this element. And so okay. when you, as a European person, are seeing people sing and dance, you might not necessarily want them to congregate, but that fear of, of African religion mobilizing people to revolt is not there because there is no right. possession. And okay. I think in my personal understanding of how African religions have been viewed by European people, mm-hmm. possession was a big thing. And that is why, unfortunately, Karakui's big drum dance is not always seen as a religion. It is seen as simply a thing. They will People in Karakui will literally say, we do this because we are African and that is it. So... And then in a modern in the modern time we live in, the ideas behind religion, as people abandon religions for various reasons, um, that is reinforced. Um, but another reason I believe that it has survived is simply because of the remoteness of Karaku. You had Grenada, and at, there were, at one point there was the re- revolution with Fedon, and I have researched it, but I don't know enough about it to speak on it with absolute certainty in terms of chronological events in that revolution but absolutely that with with fed on came about and likely distracted the french at the time from things going on in karaku because karaku okay. is just so much smaller you also have um karaku is very mountainous but there's not necessarily the ability to maroon aka run away and establish your own communities while the big drum dance is done at maroons our use of that word is more so for a festival. It's not to describe a person who has escaped as it would be in Jamaica or even in Suriname and so on and so forth. Um, But I think the biggest biggest thing is um, the lack of possession and obvious like spiritual mounting and things like that in in the big drum dance. There's a, a, a teacher, she, her name is Lorna McDaniel and she actually went from America to Karaku I think recently after the Cuban situation with Grenada to study the big drum dance. And she had in her research developed what looks like it was a pantheon of non-ancestral spirits, but spirits that would have come from African religions um, and kind of re-emphasized the religious importance of the tradition as it may have looked in one point in time. But I think that those big things kind of letting go of certain elements um, of course, on top of the practice of the tradition at night. So you'll see in a lot of stories about plantations in the Caribbean, like the enslaved Africans are are working things up at night. The Haitian Revolution was like done at night and all these different things. So the big drum dance is usually done at night and it actually lasts all night up until the next day. Um, so I think that all these different reasons are how the religion survived, not and as well as, you know, the perseverance of our ancestors, but also by luck. You know, when we think of the, the conscious and critical movements Europeans did to destroy Black cultures and communities and all these different things, it is really by luck sometimes that things still exist and survive. No, absolutely. That makes complete sense. Um, and so you spoke about... Um, the ethnographer that was kind of yes. that had collated the um, recordings and the kind of things that you're using to kind of I guess map out these histories and, and get a bit better understanding of it. Um, it is an interesting way of, of of conducting history, especially when we're looking at groups of people who often fall victim to the records about their their lives and their histories uh, being destroyed 
by colonial powers. So what's that process been like for you? Or, or if you want to speak more about the process of, of, of the kind of initial collating of, the, of those histories and those stories? Well, I would say that it has been difficult <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. because, you know, there's I was depending on like a YouTube channel, which I just found posting these songs. Yeah. And there's someone who they know, they seem to understand the Grenadian patois, as we would call it, the French Creole. Yeah. Um, they seem to understand it and they are able to translate some songs um, but my attempts to connect with them have been shot down for whatever reason. I mean, I'm yeah. the only person watching the videos. I don't understand why. <laughs> if they and they talk about, I'm very frustrated because they talk about preserving the the language specifically right. and, and spreading the music and stuff like that. But they do not want to communicate with those who are interested. So that yeah. is a point of frustration. I have been using, unfortunately, Google Translate, like with um, Haitian Creole and translating what I can from that Haitian Creole to, to English. Um, yeah. But there's that dialectal difference, mm. which does come up. There are words and phrases that are used in both. So, bagade is don't look in Haitian Creole. It is the yeah. same in, you know, Grenadian Patois. But, of course, you have words that are loan words from different African languages that I've had to piece together. So, my understanding of which nations are the most prominent on the island or in the tradition. So those would be the Cromanti, the Igbo, um, may, some would say the Temne, I honestly would disagree. I think it would be the Cromanti, the Igbo, the Arata, and the Congo. Yeah. Um, and so whatever languages are available in terms of translation, I will translate and see what words I can get. Luckily enough, because of the, the organization of the nations, a lot of songs are attributed to nations, which is how we know these nations existed. Um, and then you even have songs that are for not nations specifically, but for dances. So there are halicores, which they the women will dance in a certain way. There's the Belkawe, um, which has like influences of African dance and European dances, specifically like the quadrille. Um, and then you have frivolous dances, you have like bongo dances and it's interesting because while a lot of what I've discussed on this religion has been informed by, you know, Africa's history and culture, these songs also in, like informs what is now soca music because of the political commentary and cultural commentary of these people, of our people um, on plantations and in little villages and things like that. I mean, yeah. there's one song about this, this, man or woman crying because his children and his wife are being sold to Haiti. There's another song about, um, it's called La Jean La Jean, which is money, money. Mm -hmm. And this woman is basically saying that had she known that men from Dominica would be so rich, she would have gone and married one because her <laughs> sister married one first. And it's just very interesting because when people, once again, when you think about religion and use Christianity and Abrahamic religions as an idea, people think that it has to be obviously talking about God. And when you find it in indigenous cultures and African cultures, that's usually not the case. You know, I can, one of the Cromanti songs is called Negla Wibe, which simply means the, the, the black man arrives, the man arrives. And it's attributed to the Cromanti. So with those just simple ideas, what is the song about? Is it about Cromanti people arriving and in what form are they arriving? Are they arriving as slaves? Are they arriving off of a boat? I mean, and that's really kind of the Caribbean, not Caribbean, the creative process starts for me in terms of writing short stories inspired by each of these songs. 
um, whether they come from a nation or not. So when I am writing a story inspired by this, like I am looking at the research done by myself and by Lorna McDaniel, by Winston Fleury, and I'm, I don't want their work to simply die. So there's been, yeah. in terms of Lorna's research and understanding that there are spirits from Africa that have been brought to Karakou that might mm -hmm. not be worshipped, but their names are pronounced. So yeah. Anansi would be one. Everyone knows about the Anansi stories. Yeah. So people look at him as just a, a full character, but one of our songs, actually the very first song we sing is called Anansi O Sari Baba. And while the words are no longer clearly translated, the meaning is it is a prayer, it is a beg pardon song. Mm. And that is to pray for forgiveness for the sins of the community. Yeah, And when people sing the song, they'll pour libations, they'll throw rice on the ground and things like that. And that essentially starts the big drum dance. But then you also have Oko. So those who practice Yoruba religion know Oko to be an Orisha, which, and he's worshipped in Brazil, he's worshipped in Nigeria, so on and so forth. However, in Karaku, the song we have for Oko is Oko Mama Mwen Paranemwen, which is Oko My Mother Pardon Me. And that kind of com might confuse people because Oko is a man, but in Karaku, for whatever reason, Oko has become a woman. And we see this in Louisiana with the corruption of Anansi to Aunt Nancy. So it kind of shows the cultural changes. There are other mentions of different African spirits, such as Damala, which you would see in Haiti, and that comes from Benin. He is yeah. the great serpent. You have Legba. And obviously, everyone knows Papa Legba from Haitian Bodun. Legba's also in West Africa is Benin once again. Um, you have, who else? You have Mawulisa, once again from Benin. She mm. is the, or they are the twin spirit that represents the sun and the moon. And if you watch The Woman King, you see a reference to Mawulisa as well. Um, and it's just very interesting to study Caribbean religion in Grenada and Kanku specifically because Oko is a great example of a spirit who is Yoruba, but she mm. is attributed to be with the Cromanti. Wow. Why would that be? It's because Karaku does not have a Yoruba nation. However, Grenada and Trinidad had a lot of Yoruba people be taken as indentured servants, so they were not technically slaves. Yeah. And a lot of the time they were taken from other Caribbean colonies and brought to those neighboring places. Yeah. And so Oko is an Orisha for fertility and for um, like agriculture and things like that. So when people from Karaku went to Trinidad and Grenada, they brought Oko back because Karaku is plagued by droughts. There are no major rivers on the island. So yeah. if you know Jamaica, Jamaica has a, a bunch of rivers and these carry the island through the dry season mm -hmm. and enable you know flora and fauna to survive. Karaku does not have that, which is why the big drum dance is also done to call rain. Yeah. So when people from Karaku went to Grenada and they went to Trinidad and they see Yoruba indentured servants worshiping the spirit for you know, help with their crops, they are going to take Oko and bring her to Karaku, but there's no Yoruba culture or context for them to put her in. So they will put her with the most dominant group on the island, which would be the Cromanti. So it, it, this is why I'm interested in religion because it informs culture and it informs society and so on and so forth. And then you have historical figures who were elevated to like a spiritual status. So you have Cromanti Kujo, and he is said to be a Jamaican maroon who was taken from Jamaica all the way to Karaku. And he be, he's one of the fathers of Big Drum. You have like Mama Nu, who's like essentially the mother of us all 
basically like a Mother Earth kind of idea. That's how I've interpreted it. Um, and I know I've kind of gone on a tangent because that's that's what that's I tend so to do when I talk about this. But there's just so much intertwined information. Some yeah. things I cannot pull apart. For example, I know Legba is supposed to be with the Fawn and Edway groups based on my understanding of Bodun. Mm-hmm. But Legba has been associated with the Igbo people. Why? Because the dance for his song, which is Don Don Vanan or Ibole Bole, the dance is identical to what is done for Legba in Haiti. But right. people in Karaku did not know this, even though they know of Haiti. Alan Lomax identified it because he had studied Haitian Bodun. Mm-hmm. And he told one of the performers, hey, is this a dance for Legba? And the dancer says, I don't know who Legba is. So yeah. it kind of shows the what has been lost, but in a way what has been preserved without us even being in contact with one another. It's, it's very, very interesting. Wow. No, definitely. Um, and I think one of the interesting things you brought up there that you kind of brought back at the end um, was kind of the the movement of, of people initially in between kind of Caribbean islands, which we don't often think about, like, um you guys won't know because you weren't in the last recording but we spoke about movement of of people migrating from the caribbean to the us and britain but actually um the way that culture and and traditions and and religion and and song travels around the caribbean islands as well in this context as well to to um inform um the big drum dances is really really interesting um and the way those migrations were voluntary or from indentured people or from enslaved people uh, and so forced. Um, I wondered if you could touch on, um, and time is running out and not just because I'm trying to keep the episodes to 30 minutes as you true listeners will know, but also because my Zencaster subscription is is running low. Um, so Zencaster, if you're listening. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just wanted to ask about um, kind of your storytelling and, and how that kind of, is impacted maybe by um, the big drum dance or, or if you want to speak about how it's impacted by, you know, your roots in the Caribbean more broadly and, and how you kind of got into storytelling a little bit from, from your own background and family. Well, I will say like, I didn't, I didn't grow up listening to a lot of maybe traditional Caribbean stories. I didn't grow up listening to like Anansi stories and things like that. But my mother, she is, I would say she's a woman of Proverbs and not in the biblical sense, but just because she makes them up. As <laughs> And I do the same thing. I love doing it. I think it's awesome. Um, But I think that I was always very drawn to writing. And one day, you know, I think a famous Caribbean, you know, saying is, if you're bored, go read a book, go study a book, go write a book. I grew up hearing these things all the time. And one day I was like, you know what, fine, I I will write a book. Why not? (laughs) And I just wrote it initially about my siblings and I informed by like, you know, Caribbean culture. And the, the information of that is as I am older now, is somewhat vague. I think that it was kind of the, you know, magical, fantastical um, idea behind it. And that's why I am so interested in Power BT because Power BT is obviously informed by a very, very small religion, something that's not even recognized by the people who practice it necessarily. And that's why a lot of the stories can take turns between just being simply realistic and nothing magical about them to be being purely fantastical and made up. Um, and that's kind of what I like. I think that studying Karaku's Big Drum Dance has taught me that, and studying history in general, I think has taught me that there's a lot to be found in the mundane. Like a lot of people will be like, oh, your family's from the Caribbean, that's so cool. 
you know, and I'm like, well, your family's from the South. What's the difference? If I'm, if my family were farmers in the islands and your family are farmers in the South, they are doing the exact same thing. Right. You know what I mean? Like there's simply nothing, but granted you think mine is cool because there's a distinction between the two. And I always tell people that same excitement you see in farming in another country, look at that, use that same excitement when you study farming in your own backyard. Absolutely. You know, so I'm just trying to take the mundane and make it uh, magical, I guess. And I, I want to improve. Um, I want to improve people's understanding of what Caribbean literature and Caribbean art looks like. I think a lot of it is focused on colonialism, and that's why I appreciate art like writers like Ibi Savoy because she talks about being Haitian in America. She brings up the fact that a lot of people stuck at the border are Haitian, and I think this yeah. came to more common knowledge last year when people were talking right. about Haitian looked at the border but 40 mm-hmm. percent of people stuck at the american border are of haitian um lineage and descent and yeah you know as as black people in the states we don't necessarily think about how immigration affects us even when we are descended from migrants ourselves but yeah it reminds us that yes you know my, migration and immigration issues are focused about around latinos and things like that and haitians are latinos but a lot of latinos are black and this makes migration and immigration issues a black issue and if we really believe in helping one another, then we need to be focused on, you know, that kind of issue. But and that's kind of talking about how writing informs, you know, politics and your knowledge on world events. But in terms of just understanding writing from a consumer standpoint, to simply yeah. enjoy it. I appreciate artists like Ibi Zavoy because she destigmatizes Haitian Vodun. Um, she she not not in the sense where it's like okay this character does vote voodoo and woo woo and all this other stuff but simply when people see homeless people she's like oh this isn't a homeless person this mm-hmm. is papa legba mm-hmm. and you shouldn't ignore him you should talk to him you should see what he needs what is wrong because living in new york city there are homeless people all about mm-hmm. how many times do you see a homeless person that you walk past them but if you in her sense put a, a certain level of importance on this it not only makes you communicate with them it humanizes them it gives you a reason to speak with them and you recognize wait a minute this person is distinctly different than me but they're Mm. a part of my community for whatever reason and that's just me understanding american street i mean me reading vagabonds right now it has that same level of magical realism set in lagos and it talks about how the corruption in nigeria how it's always watching you Mm. and how the two gods aren't necessarily real Nigerian spirits, but they are the city, which is called like, I think, uh, I think it's Eke or something. Yeah. And then money, which is Owo. And it, I mean, think about it. You pay a lot of money to live in a city and as expensive as the city is, the city bows to money because if money is moved somewhere else, then the city will die, you know? And, it's, mm-hmm. and she talks about, you know, movement from traditional religions to Christianity and just there's just so much tied together and i think that writing is supposed to remind people that nothing exists in a vacuum that's Mm -hmm. something i say every day all the time and as much as we believe we can separate and compartmentalize you know the things we experience and how other people's experiences affect us sometimes you simply cannot and it doesn't mean that you have no power or you cannot navigate the situation but i think it gives you a better understanding of who and what you're dealing with Absolutely, definitely. And your stories um, 
really do encompass that, I would say, um, from the ones I've heard uh, from Proud BT. Um, and I would urge anybody that has, has listened to this episode and enjoys it and, and wants to learn more um, about um, Rafiki's storytelling and, and about the Caribbean a little bit more broadly, um, you should definitely listen to his podcast. And that will be in the show notes and linked below um, because I think it will be a really, really, a really, really nice podcast. And I think, you know, I, I wanted to have you on this podcast as well. Um, not just for this conversation and for how fruitful it's been, but also to introduce you to the audience that I have and, and that listen to me weekly, because um, I just think there is just so much a wealth of, of um, storytelling and information on your, your channel that um, people over here will find super, super interesting as well. Um, so, yeah, please continue doing the work that you, you currently do. And um, if you need more information uh, on anything that Rafiki is doing, um, his socials will be linked below but I thought we'd leave if you wanted to share anything you're working on currently or you wanted to shout any workout that you've done in the past that you'd like supporting um that can also be linked as well and and my listeners can can join um I would say the only thing I'm focused on right now is power bt I think there's some things I want to work on but you know writing takes time and so I'm just trying to be patient with myself um and I am posting weekly as often as I can sometimes it might be two weeks so if you see a gap um mind your business why. yeah mind <laughs> your business also i will say episode five is kind of the introduction into carol Cruz big drum dance in a more detailed way the first few episodes are just you know stories i've written stories i wanted to share to see how people thought about listening to narrated um stories but power bt is my big focus right now and when the podcast is done when i finish each collection so a collection is an assortment of stories focused on like a nation with different songs or even dances um, with different songs. Once I finish that, my goal is to make these short stories into an anthology. It'll be a, a book, a collection of short stories, maybe not all of them, but quite a few of them. Um, so Power BT will eventually, God willing, have a published form. But I just encourage you all to look up Carol Cruz Big Drum Dance. Um, you can look up like Alan Lomax recordings of it and listen to them. Um, you can even find it on Apple Music and Spotify. It is actually quite crazy. Uh, but I have wow. been trying to organize it and put it into a palatable way for this podcast because, unfortunately, with things like history, you know, and, and changes, and especially Black history, some of it is up to speculation. Yeah. And I encourage you all to not get caught up in pseudoscience or pseudo stories about mm-hmm. who we are and what we've done. Um, I find that to be very detrimental to our understanding of ourselves and our understanding of other communities and people. So, yeah, that's just my final message here on the History Hotline. Thank Thank you for having me. No, thank you for being here. And I say also, it's my favorite story, I think, Old Man Perry. I really like that one. I know it's like the first one, but I just, I've listened to it so many times. It entertains me so much. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. It's just the cantankerous nature of his character. I just, yeah. yeah, it just makes me laugh. Um, so, yeah, there's a wealth of stories uh, for you to, to have a listen to. Um, so, yeah, do tune into that. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Rafiki, for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. No worries. Right.